Welcome to the I Spy with My MyOI podcast. I am your host, Brittany Murphy. I am a certified oral facial myologist, registered dental hygienist, and lifelong learner. My goal with this podcast is to bring you up-to-date and current literature and expand your knowledge of oral facial myofunctional disorders so that together we can get to the root cause of the problem. You ask, we'll answer, by collaborating with true pioneers and specialties associated with the myo world. Join me on this journey as we dive into the life-altering world of tethered oral tissues and airway space. Let's do this thing. Quick disclaimer, all content expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the speakers and is for informational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Because every person is so unique, you should always consult with your specialized healthcare professional. Dr. Racine began his career as a certified athletic trainer, providing sideline medical coverage for various sporting teams in the New York City area, from adolescent sports to managing professional athletes. He spent four years as an athletic trainer working on the field for a variety of sports from adolescents to professionals, but still yearned for more to give his patients the care they deserved. It was in his graduate coursework for physical therapy that he knew he was where he should be. While in PT school, he worked as an athletic trainer for insurance-based clinics, private one-on-one clinics, and everything in between. After graduating PT school, he began treating patients with chronic TMJ pain, headaches, migraines, and various airway issues. In the past five years, he has completed a residency through the Institute of Physical Art to become a certified functional manual therapist. He has completed various coursework through the Upledger Institute, Barrel Institute, and other various continuing education in relation to treating patients with airway issues. In treating these patients, he has come to learn that it is truly a team approach and the success of our patients is reliant on the collaboration of a multitude of healthcare practitioners. Good morning, Dr. Racine. I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. I know we've been trying to plan this for a little while, so welcome and thank you for taking the time to talk with me this morning. Absolutely, and uh, thank you. I know I've uh, been a little bit of a, a pest trying to get on and and meet you and, and get you into the clinic, so I appreciate you taking the time to to interview me and have me on the podcast. Absolutely. It's always so much fun meeting other, you know, like-minded professionals. So I'm excited for our listeners to find out about you if they don't already know your story and about you and what you do. So if you want to start by just explaining a little bit of your background, how you got into PT, how you got into the PT, PT airway world, we'd love to hear it. Sure. So I um, I went to Sacred Heart University for undergrad and I got a bachelor's in athletic training for those of you who don't know, athletic training is a profession where you pretty much are on the field dealing with emergency care situations. People get like spinal cord injuries or broken bones on the field and so on and so forth. Uh, but I always knew I had a track towards PT. AT just seemed to be the best stepping stone. Um, and in that process, I um, got my strength and conditioning certification. And while I was in PT school, I worked as an athletic trainer and strength and conditioning coach for um different schools and universities and teams in Manhattan for the most part, because I did my graduate work at Hunter. And uh, while I was at Hunter, I was working in um, two different clinics. One was a cash-based clinic. One was an insurance-based clinic. And we would always get patients that had jaw pain, headaches, and they never came in for it, but they always seemed to mention it at some point during their course of care. 
And I was just kind of standing there like, I have no idea. And I'd look at my boss and be like, I have no idea what to do about this. And we didn't even <laughs> know where to send them, you know, right. um, for something like that. They just kind of mentioned it and it just rolled off our shoulders. And then my last year PT school, we had a guest lecture, um, give us a lecture on TMJ treatments. And one of our professors gave us another 45 minute lecture. So in total, we had about an hour and a half worth of education mm -hmm. on this. And it kind of piqued my interest. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then we went off to clinicals. I forgot about it. Um, and then my first job was at Elite Health Services in Greenwich, Connecticut. And Brad Gilden, who's the clinic owner there, um, who's phenomenal. He's been treating in the airway world for quite a long time. And he's been doing a lot for the profession as far as physical therapy goes and, you know, creating collaboration between dentists and my functional therapists and massage therapists and mm -hmm. any other profession that really has a seat at the table in treating these patients. Um, and in fact, one of the first weeks I was there, a TMJ referral came from Dr. Gelb and Dr. Michael Gelb from in Manhattan. And he was like, all right, Ben, you're up. And I'm like, no way. I'm not. <laughs> And he was busting my chops. He's like, come on, you can do it. It's no big deal. And I'm like, dude, I haven't, we took an hour and a half course. I have no yep. idea what I'm doing. And I was petrified, didn't even see the patient. And then um, little by little, I uh, would shadow Dr. Gale uh, once a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. And get patients that trickle in and a coach with Brad and other of the senior therapists. And um, as I treated, I was like, man, this is something I could really see myself doing. And I think what really piqued my interest is, there's not a lot of people helping um, mm -hmm. these patients. And statistically, you know, the second leading cause of pain behind low back pain is TMJ pain. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, how do we not have any sort of basis for helping these patients? And the more physicians I talk to, I'd ask them, like, how do you deal with them? And they're like, oh, we tell them to just put a hot compress. And I'm like, right. It's, you know, I started working there in 2019. I'm like, it's 2019. This is the best we got. Right. Um, so from there, I did a residency through the Institute of Physical Art. I got my certification in functional manual therapy. That kind of springboarded me into, you know, treating these patients a little bit better. And then I started experimenting with courses in the Upledger Institute with craniosacral and the Baral Institute and, you know, TMJ courses. And then for the most part, just reading and talking to people and asking them how they manage these patients. So here I am now. I'm I'm on my own. I started my own practice called Prime Frizio in uh, Bronxville, New York, mm -hmm. and um, just trying to meet as many people as I can to see how we can help these patients together. Absolutely. And it's always intriguing to me to speak with uh, physical therapists that are in the airway field because, you know, like when we're making recommendations to our patients, it's like, okay, like, you know, go see a PT and like, you know, they might have worked with a PT in the past that they're looking to go to, but it's not like go see any PT because again, to your point, hour and a half of learning about this stuff in school doesn't really prepare you. And I think that's why a lot of PTs end up being very hesitant when it comes to treating TMD. So I guess my next question that I kind of want to segue into is like, how has practicing changed for you from like when you graduated, I guess, to learning more about airway? Um, it's a great question. I think, you know, we always say everything's connected, right? So cliche, mm -hmm. um, but it's way deeper than that. And it's changed my practice because if we're really going to help a patient, we have to understand how everything is integrated, right? And hierarchically, you can't last more than six, seven, eight minutes, depending on, you know, who you're talking to without breathing. So mm -hmm. if that person's not breathing as efficiently as they can, they're never going to heal as well as they should. Right. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, it depends on the patient has how far they want to go into treatment. I had a conversation with a patient this morning. I'm like, listen, there's two ways we could, we could address this. We can address the real root issues, which is might take us a little longer and get into some stuff you didn't think we would, or we can just attempt to treat the pain and hopefully it goes away. The first one is definitely more sustainable. The second one isn't. Um, so it's expanded my practice in, in terms of looking at how the whole body integrates with each other and educating patients on, hey, listen, if you don't want to go down this road, you know, you may get 70 or 75 or 80% of the way there, but you may always be missing that extra 20%. Um, and it's also opened my eyes in terms of if I'm treating somebody, for example, someone with neck pain, and I'm just not getting the results I think I should be getting, or I'm treating a vertebrae, or I'm treating the cranium, and those issues just keep popping up. And you hear this all the time in patients, like, I've been managing this for 20 years, I've seen this person, I've seen that person. In my opinion, oftentimes, there's some area of the body that hasn't been addressed to help keep those changes stable. Um, and when I get caught, if I'm, you know, treating a cranium or a neck or even a shoulder, I'll always kind of ask them about their oral history. I'll ask them about their sleep. I'll ask them about their uh, breathing habits during the day. Like, do you hear yourself breathing? Do people tell you yourself breathing? It's like, okay, maybe the shoulder is not healing because you're not giving it the proper environment to heal. And no one's ever connected those two dots for you. Now, where did you start learning about tongue ties? Uh, let's see. Probably from my colleague, Liz Arnold. She's a physical therapist okay. who's got EDS and I believe POTS. Um, okay. I don't know. We haven't, she's got so many things going on. She's going to laugh when she hears this, but um, <laughs> she's, got, she's had her own um, like malfunctional airway journey. Okay. And, you know, when I first started treating TMJ for me, it was neck, cranium, jaw, mm -hmm. and definitely missed the tongue a lot more than I'd like to admit. Um, and when she had a phrenectomy, her and I started to connect a little bit more because she saw that I was interested in airway and she mm -hmm. was dealing with more patients with like systemic issues, EDS, POTS, and more managing them, managing them and educating them on how to deal with that. So I'd say probably from her, because the tongue was such an important part for her in her journey, but also in her patients. And one of the first things she had said to me is be careful with patients who have EDS um, and have uh, a tongue tie because you might be stealing their lifeline from them. You might be stealing their only point of stability. Um, and then that's kind of when her and I relationship sort of blossomed and we worked very closely together, cross referring. Um, so that was probably the first time I heard about tongue ties and even thought it was a important factor in treating. Right. These now, do you, and I don't think there's any research on this. I don't think so. I'm just asking more from like your clinical experience. Do you find a big correlation between your TMD patients and tongue tie, like that they are tongue tied and that that is contributing to their TMD? Oh, hundred percent. 100%. Um, I don't know if there's any stats um, that have been published in terms of like the correlation between TMJ pain and, and uh, a tongue tie. And I think part of the reason that's not there is because until Dr. Zaghi came out with his most recent article that where you can actually measure the tongue tie, like the lingual right. power function measurement, they're pretty, I don't, I don't know, maybe the Kotlo, uh, tongue tie measurement, like, but before that, I mean, before the year 2000, I don't know, this is me being ignorant. Like, was there even a standardized right. measurement tool? So, because most of the dentists I talked to, or even the ones I lectured to in Westchester, it's like, they're like, oh, hey, they have a tongue tie. I'm like, oh, okay, well, how did you measure? And they're like, oh, I just saw it. And it's like, right. 
that's not objective, you know, so that might be the reason, but clinically, um, I would definitely say at least 60 to 70% have are probably a class two at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and even taking that a step further, you know, the, their control of their tongue and their coordination between the dissociation of their tongue and jaw is probably in all of them. Um, and obviously dissociation and tongue control is going to go down if, if it's, you know, right down to the mandible. So that's definitely something I see. And with my patients too. And I always tell them like, look there, I don't think there's any research out there that supports this. I'm just telling you from what I see in my clinic and my patients, I just find so often that there is that hidden posterior tie there. And even in my, um, orthognathic patients, my jaw surgery patients, I feel like I'm always finding tongue ties on those, uh, cases as well, which again, goes hand in hand with all the stuff that we're talking about. Um, now do you have like and I'm sure the answer is probably no, because every patient's so different, but is there a typical flow of some kind of protocol that you like to follow when it comes to like, okay, patient is getting their tongue tie released on a Tuesday. I want to see them 48 hours before. Like, is there anything like that? Right. Um, well, first it definitely goes based. I definitely, I mean, legally we have to kind of abide by what the dentist recommends, yep. um, but I've had dentists who are like, I don't know, I'll do whatever you want. And then I've right. had dentists <laughs> here's what you want to do. Um, I would say pre, I mean, if you look at tissue healing time and you look at the time it takes to actually change tissue from a strength and conditioning perspective, right? It takes anywhere between six to 12 weeks to really start to remodel collagen. So pre, I always advocate patients go through at least six weeks of myofunctional therapy and some sort of PT or a couple sessions of PT to teach them how to release some soft tissue to enhance the work you guys do so beautifully. Um, the second part of the question, like, what do I do after? I mean, I'm comfortable the day after working on their whole body, right? Because, you know, if, if we look at anatomy trains, all right, if we look at the connection between the fascia of the tongue all the way down to the big toe, it's like, we can still be influencing the efficacy of the surgery if we're treating through other structures while they're still healing. I usually don't put my finger in their mouth till about day five. And, but that really depends on how good of a healer are they? Like, have I worked with them in the past? Do they have a good pain tolerance? Mm -hmm. Am I noticing when I treat them, if I work on their uh, muscles, are they, do they maybe bruise after a session with not too much input? So like, I'm considering all those variables, but I mean, by day seven, we should be ready to rock and roll in terms of me doing some work in the area on on the on the frenulum, you know, on the myelohyoid, on the genioblast, stuff like that, I may, you know, be a little bit more gentle or take a little bit more time. But I would say I'm ready to rock and roll as soon as they're done. If they're open to, you know, really depends on how much therapy they want to go through. Um, and then what about? I'm sure, uh, teams, your team that you work with, you know, locally. Um, I guess how am I trying to? What question am I trying to ask? Okay. Like I hear a lot from our dentists who literally won't do a release without myofunctional therapy, how much of an impact it's made on the outcomes of their release. So can you speak to, or even think of, you know, things you've heard from your colleagues, like what impact you've made on the team? Because I know for me, like that body work component with my patients seems to make such a huge difference and impact on the success and the healing of their release. So I'd like to hear it more from your view. Yeah. I'd say historically, um, where I think I'm the biggest asset to someone like a malfunctional therapist is if they get them to a point where they're like, okay, you know, let's say they're opening at 50 millimeters and their LPS is 25. I don't know. It doesn't matter. 
and you get them to 31, let's say. Um, I think where I can be a big asset is I can help identify with a myofunctional therapist where what other areas we can address to loosen up that fascia or to give some slack in the line to allow the myofunctional work to be better. So that can mean intraoral work, which I know you guys are pretty proficient at, you know, teaching patients where to go. Sometimes it just needs to be more aggressive. Sometimes they just need more volume. Like they need it three times a week with someone else doing it because they may not be pushing areas or as accurate as aggressive as it should be. Sometimes it could be as simple as, you know, we have to address their hip flexors, right? Mm -hmm. Because let's say they're sitting or they're driving four or five hours a day for work, depending on, you know, whatever their demands are of their life. And it's like, you know, my functional therapist is not going to get into that stuff, but where I can help is like, Hey, we need to treat this to help Brittany or whoever, whatever myofunctional therapist I'm working in Westchester to get them to have a better um, outcome with the myofunctional therapy. I'd say, to be quite honest with you, the dentists that I know that are doing it, that I'm trying to get involved in the airway world, don't really even know myofunctional therapy or PT even exists. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really have a a protocol in place that they would use or think to use me for something. A lot of people are just cutting without thinking, you know, right. I get, I get patients who are had a phrenectomy maybe five years ago. And they're like, I don't know if it really even did anything sometimes even worse because now they, they don't have the control that they should have gotten when they got that, you know, new range of motion. Um, I think the other thing too, is helping patients along with malfunction there, put everything into perspective, Right. The tongue doesn't operate in isolation with the jaw. So if we're doing myofunctional therapy, you're trying to get that tongue moving better. You're trying to get them to swallow better. You're trying to get better um, lip competency as well. It's like, well, if they're going home and their behaviors are not allowing that to be, you know, as effective as it can be, sometimes it takes the PT to jump in and say, or just the patient needs to hear it from another mouth. Like Mm -hmm. if you keep behaving in this way, it's going to make the treatment less effective. Right. So, um, I think those are probably the two, you know, the two biggest areas where I can help with, with, uh, myofunctional therapy and the, and the therapists I work with in uh, Westchester. Um, now is there, are there certain releases that, I mean, obviously I know you're doing releases yourself in the office. Are there releases that you leave patients with that they're able to perform on themselves at home? You mean like intraorally? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll generally teach patients how to release uh, masseters, myelohyoid, and uh, medial pterygoid. Medial pterygoid to me seems like the biggest one just because of the proximity and the fascial attachments. Um, I would say that's probably in my TMJ cases, that's probably an 80% of them. Um, The other 20%, I'm definitely showing them some sort of soft tissue release, foam rolling um, at some other point in the area you know, for example, get a lot of patients who've had appendectomies, like that Mm -hmm. that creates a good amount of scar tissue in the abdomen. That's an area that might be helpful in releasing. And then on top of that, I think the the thing that's missed even with physical therapists sometimes, and I've definitely made this mistake is we get so gung-ho on releasing a tissue, but what about strengthening it? What about training it in that new range of motion? Because if you release it and they go back to the same behaviors and they didn't do any strength training afterwards, that tissue is just going to slack right back. Um, Or they're missing an opportunity to get it as mobile as they can. I tend not to go too much more beyond that because patients may overdo it or um, 
they're not hitting the right spot because they're just not coordinated enough or they're not familiar with touching the right muscles in their mouth. I try and keep it really simple just to give them a tool to help relieve pain, but also keep them out of the treatment room a little bit longer. Right. Right. Um, what about, uh, oral appliances? Is there a protocol that you have for that? Like, let's say a patient is getting their oral appliance adjusted. Um, do you like to see them at a certain point? Like, do you feel their body's getting out of whack as they're going through these adjustments? So this is a really important point. And I'm happy this was on our, our list because I really believe either a cranial sacral therapist or a physical therapist with my sort of background or manual therapy background needs to be part of the process all the way down to um, when they're fitting the patient. Okay. And with Dr. Gelb in his office, oftentimes, you know, he do his eval, he'd take his comb beam and as he's fitting, he would ask us to, you know, feel C1, feel C2, feel the sphenoid, feel the occipital bone, feel the parietal bones, feel the temporal bones, because the position of the mandible and the occlusion is going to influence the position of the neck and cranium. If you're adjusting the appliance and you got someone with my hands on them, right, saying, eh, I think they might need a little bit more contact on the right posterior molars, right? Um, posterior molars, obviously, the right molars, right? that's putting them in a more neutral position or, Hey, let's test them in sitting to okay. see if the appliance is fitting when they're in weight bearing, or let's see it when they're standing, or let's do an exercise to get them in a more neutral position. And then let's fit them for the appliance. So without even talking about the kind of appliance, right, it doesn't really matter because how you fit it is also going to, is going to be probably one of the biggest impact on them right? Every appliance has its goal. A, you know, repositioning device that brings the mandible more forward is going to be generally used for people with sleep apnea and you're looking to get the con disc right back on the condyle, decompress the joint versus something like a flat plane molar splint where you're just trying to get a little bit of um, proprioceptive contact so the patient can shift right and left. Either way, both of those appliances can be adjusted with the clinician, with the physical therapist, they're saying, Hey, I think if we, if we don't cut as much down on the right or however you want to phrase it, we'll have their sphenoid or their temporal bones in a more neutral position. That'll allow me to do my job easier. Once I can get them to stay there, then maybe we come back in two weeks and we make another adjustment to the appliance to get them where you want them from a dentistry perspective. But right. oftentimes I think there, there's two problems with the appliances is one is the position they're being made in. Mm -hmm. They're being taken with a wax bite, or even if they're being scanned, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't recall what the machine is called. It's like, if you're being scanned with your head turned to the right, I mean, you know, to the right, it's going to influence your occlusion. Right. So, you know, people like me come in and say, Hey, listen, I, I know we've been doing this for years, but how about thinking about maybe doing it this way? And I'll often have dentists. I, I start my lectures with, you know, occlude on the left, occlude on the right, feel how your body shifts, mm -hmm. extend your neck, flex your neck, feel how your bite changes. If we're making an appliance in those same non-neutral positions, then it's going to influence the occlusion. And then the second piece of that is what's the context of giving this appliance? Like you had asked me, what's the protocol? Well, it depends. What are we using it for, right? If Are we giving them an appliance that's as thin as Invisalign that's just used for proprioceptive contact? Are they going to wear that when they play sports? Are they going to wear it when they work? Are they going to wear it just when we do therapy? So this way we can stabilize the bite and I can make better changes. Mm -hmm. That might be something they use a little bit longer. 
having a mandibular repositioning device where they're drawing the mandible a little bit more forward. That's something where it's like, if you just give it to them and don't have any follow-up, you could really screw up their bite or change their bite dramatically. And I know you've seen those patients where it's like, they're in, you're in this appliance for a year and you're like, oh man, I wish you had seen me because we could have maybe worked with the tissue as it was remodeling, got your bite a little bit more stable and maybe even ditch the appliance or more, um, you know, more effectively progress to some sort of orthodontia, you right. know, maybe some palatal expansion, depending on what the patient's coming in for. Um, and when I'm talking to dentists, that's what I, I try and advocate. It's like, let's come up with a plan together. Like we can't just give these appliances out and say, you know, put it in. And if you feel better, great. It's like, that's fine, but we don't know what the intended, you know, we don't know what the effects are going to be in a year. Right now. What, what would you say are like, if somebody was going through that, uh, the t- oral appliances you discussed, so I guess more like sleep related, um, TMD appliances, and they didn't get that proper manual therapy body work. Like what are some symptoms that they would have? Um, you mean because of the appliance or just in general? Um, I would say because of the appliance and not having that body work to, you know, kind of balance things. I think the first thing is you're, if they don't have the manual work or even just the correct exercises to get the body to match what the mandible is trying to do, you'll get bite changes or occlusal changes or even mandibular positioning changes. And now you won't have the body to catch up to it. And you could have some serious issues and problems that you may not have ever had before. You know, you could have someone coming in for TMJ, you address the TMJ, it looks great on a Panax. They're in the, they're in the, you know, they're seated in the condyles, but all of a sudden they start developing headaches mm-hmm. or all of a sudden they have trouble swallowing or their voice becomes a little bit more hoarse because they haven't adjusted to where the appliance is pulling their teeth right? or pulling their mandible per se. Um, or even more importantly to develop like a posterior open bite or even mm-hmm. in some cases an anterior open bite. And that's going to change how the body moves, right? If, if they develop a posterior open bite and that patient's only hitting on their incisors or only their canines, that's going to draw their body more forward. Right. Right. And if they don't have somebody who's monitoring them, right. The, the benefit of not of having someone like me or even a malfunctional therapist in this perspective is like, you're going to see the changes come out in their body and neck and cranium as they go through the therapy. Right. You're going to pick up in that first month, like, eh, doc, you know, this, this doesn't look right. Or are we, is this, where, is this the direction we're trying to go? If so, you know, I'm going to back off here, but if they get an appliance and they don't see anybody for three months, it's like, you've just lost 90 days of being able to maybe pause the intervention or make a slight adjustment to the appliance to make sure it's going in a better direction. I don't know. I know I kind of went off on a tangent there. I hope that. No, that was, that was fantastic. Um, what about, do you see patients that are also going through uh, palatal expansion and in different appliances for expansion? Yes. I mean, I don't see a ton, I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the times it's just because people don't want to go through it. Um, <laughs> they're a little reluctant. Um, you know, they've kind of gotten to where they want to be. Their pain's good. They're sleeping well. And they're like, listen, I don't want to open Pandora's box. Yep. To an extent, I understand that logic. Right. Uh, but for the patients I have seen, I've seen patients with MSC, I've seen patients with Vivos, I've seen uh, one patient with uh, the AGA appliances, and I've even seen patients with ALF, and they're more they're more like my cranial sacral patients, where mm-hmm. it's kind of matching because it's a very light wire 
you know, um, more proprioceptive input than really, you know, changing the anatomy of the mandible, uh, the maxilla, excuse me. Um, so for me, again, it's, it's making everything catch up, right? Um, if I notice that when they're in maxillary expansion, how is their, you know, how their temporal bones reacting? Are they maybe expanding too much one way versus another? Because they're just hitting the knob. They may not be proprioceptively or kinesthetically aware enough to figure out like, oh man, my left's going much further. And again, that might be something where we got to get you back into the orthodontist office or the dentist office to make sure things are moving evenly. Or if that's happening, why? You right. know, is there hypermobility on that side that wasn't picked up up through a scan or even um, through another therapist's hands or so on and so forth? So I'd say, you know, the best answer to that question is as the patient progresses, where do I lie in terms of making sure everything is moving around that expansion or that treatment protocol uh, as well as it should be? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that, again, you guys are just so important to the team. And I wish that, you know, it's so hard because of course, finances come into it and we are very understanding of that. And parents sometimes or families can't do you know, kind of all of the things. Um, but man, those patients that are willing to do that or can, and, you know, do the impacts that they have and the success of their treatment is just phenomenal. Um, especially, like I said, with tongue ties, I've noticed it the most, probably with my patients, those that go and get the body work. Um, I always like to ask guests that when they come on here, how they kind of explain, certain things, uh, to patients in terms of like making it easier for them to understand. So I have two questions. One, how do you explain to families how airway or issues breathing impact their overall posture? So for example, if you have a patient coming in that is complaining of chronic shoulder pain, neck pain, what have you, like getting them to understand that relation to okay, I understand like here is the area, but like, that's not what we necessarily need to really focus on addressing right now. And then two, which you obviously can answer after is how you explain a tongue tie to a patient and getting them to understand that as well. 100%. So I think the first, the, the first thing I try and do is make them feel the connection. Mm. Um, and you know, I've seen dentists just like they'll use, um, tongue depressors, to change their occlusion, to change their strength. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've done this with patients who may have like a leg length discrepancy. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do certain tests where they feel stronger in one position and weaker in another, okay. just to kind of have them be like, okay, I, I get it. I know it's all connected. Like it's easy to say, yeah, it's all connected, right? I get it right. on top of the, on top of thoracic spine and that attached to the shoulder blade, yada, yada, yada. But when you feel it, you're like, okay, this guy is, you know, he's, He's selling something good, right? Yep. <laughs> so that's that's the first piece. I really try and make them feel it. The second piece is I, I'm a I'm addicted to my anatomy app, um, and I and I always bring it up to show where the muscles and the bones and the nerves connect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, as I go through that, I always try and you know break my patients up into chunks, right? So there's the environmental factors: stress, mm -hmm. diet, sleep, mm -hmm. work how big of that, how big of an impact is that happening on the overall care of the patient, right? The patient comes in, you know, they're drinking over a hundred ounces of water. They are eating a clean diet. They're getting 80 hours of sleep. They're saying they're not that stressed. It's like, okay, that's probably not where we're going to start treatment, you know, but if the patient comes in with shoulder pain and they also tell me they're snoring uncontrollably that they're waking up their kids, that's when I'll say, okay, 
you got everything else in order. Here are the two things that I'm picking up on you from your subjective, right? And your objective, I can clearly see when you move, it's pulling your neck. And I'll even videotape them. Okay. I'll say, this is what I'm looking at. You move your arm, your head is shifting to the right. But when you move your left, it's not doing that. So clearly the two are interrelated. Um, so make them feel it. Anatomy app, 110%. And then some sort of picture or video. And then I'll always treat something. I always try and treat one thing. You know, I don't hit it every time, but if I can mm -hmm. get the lowest hanging fruit, that's going to make a change. I always explain to them, like, if I can make a change in 10 minutes, imagine what you can do in six to eight months right. and stack on top of that at addressing some of the airway issues. How I rope in the tongue is I, I if they're coming in for, because most of my patients are coming to see me because of pain, right? No one's coming to see me because I'm going to go see Vin because I have sleep apnea. Like they, they're, they're not right. going to link the two. They usually come with TMJ pain, headaches, migraines, or some other sort of body ache. So when they come in, if we're talking and if we see that there's some other deficit, I'll try and treat what they came in for and then move towards the other issues that I think can enhance their treatment. To me, it always makes, it feels like the patient's in control of what's happening and they don't think I'm trying to kind of deviate from what they, they feel like they need. And as you know, it's about developing trust. Like they have to feel like I have their best interests at heart and I'm addressing what they want to address. And if it's not going in the right direction, that's when I say, hey, listen, we've tried this for three sessions. Like, right. it's not going the right way. Let's try the other round. Generally, patients are pretty open to that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was just having this conversation with one of my doctors um, earlier this morning. I'm treating his son and he was listening to one of the other podcasts and I don't remember which one it was, but we were talking about how, you know, we have so much information that we want these patients to know and they deserve to know. And we do want to educate them. But when we throw it at them all at once, when the reason for what they were coming in for, right. although we know has something to do with all that education, but for them, it's like, you see like the overwhelm just takes over their body and then what? And then we're never going to see them again. So sometimes, and I feel like as healthcare professionals, right, most of us go into this because we're good with people, good with reading people. The more that we can read our patients and know there are certain patients where you kind of have to baby step and maybe you can't tell them everything all at once because again, they're never going to come back. They're not going to see you. They're just going to be like, whoa, that was way too much for me to handle. Um, and I think that that's so important for us to do so that we can eventually get them, get them to that finish line. Oh, hundred percent. And, um, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you said like, we have all this information we want to give. They may not want it or not even know right. it, you know, and, and that's fine. That's fine. It, they don't have to get it all in one shot. Um, right. I, I also, and I'm sure you do this as well. I also like to give them some sort of homework. It's like, you know, put some skin in the game, go, go research this. Like here's at a website, start there. Let me know where you finish. If you have questions, just email me, right? Part of the process of healing and getting better is like taking control of the situation and understanding on your own and questioning the crap out of me. I, right. you know, I, I was telling my patients like, who am I? I'm nobody. You know, I'm still learning this stuff. Right. You know, I have a patient say, oh, I don't mean to question. It's like, no, you should. Don't trust me. Right. right? I, want right. To, I want you to, because if the better I can explain it to you, mm -hmm. you know, the better you'll understand it and the better you'll feel comfortable, the, the more comfortable you'll feel that you're moving in the right direction in terms of your plan of care. And I know you do the same thing with your patients because that's ultimately what leads to good outcomes rather than just blindly following like this is what I'm supposed to do. It's like, 
yeah, but you know, maybe you're not. And that's where it comes like, you got to have skin in the game, asking questions and doing your own research. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to myofunctional therapy, one of the things that I always talk to other therapists about, like when I teach is, you know, we have all these exercises that exist, right? But there ha- you have to understand why you're giving a patient a certain exercise. You can't just throw an exercise at them. And on the flip side, you have to explain to the patient what that exercise is doing. Because sometimes, you know, like my brother, for instance, he laughs at me when he's like, like, what are some of the exercises that you give patients? And like, I'll show him. And he's like, so that's literally what you do all day. You cluck your tongue. That's what you do. <laughs> And it's like, and By the some way, God bless you guys, because I, <laughs> I, I, I work uh, with my, the ladies at Westchester Myofunctional. I'm just like, if they need myofunctional, just go to them. Like, I don't yep. even, and no, don't take this the wrong way. Like, no, like, totally. You want to do it? Like, have fun, you know, do it, um, doing the tongue exercises. That's what you do. Like that, you're right. better at that than me. I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I spend my day trying to move vertebrae. Like, right, right. Tongue mobility, I understand where it plays a role, but instead, but it's like, that's not me. Like they're teaching people eight days, I mean, eight times a day, nine times a day. Like they're the guy, right. they're the people you want to see, you know? Right. I mean, yeah. but I just had to say like. No, totally, totally. But yeah, that's what he says. And I'm like, but when you understand the reason you're doing what you mind, might find to be a silly exercise, or even I'm sure some of the intraoral releases or some of the techniques that you teach patients, like they're probably not hard to do or comprehend, but the impact they make is profound. 100%. Totally agree. Um, Okay. My last question is, and I always love to ask this too, if you were in a room full of new PT grads, what advice would you give them? Uh, Going to finance. (laughs) (laughs) I'm teasing. Um, (laughs) The, I'd probably tell them that this population is in dire need of more people who are open-minded and willing to be patient with the patients. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, these patients are complex and carry a lot of baggage, um, whether it be emotionally or physically or usually both. And I would say to them, it's a great, rewarding population to work with. And if you're a person who can be patient and be willing to listen to somebody tell their story before wanting to fix every little thing, you're in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people would be lucky to have you. Um, and some days are difficult, right? Like you take stuff home with you because they have so much going on. But, you know, when you get that text six weeks later and you're like, man, I slept for the first time and my wife didn't want to punch me in the face, you know, like that (laughs) totally makes it worth it. Um, And the other thing I would say is put some skin in the game, educate yourself, be willing to sacrifice your own time for other people because there's not enough of us doing that. And Mm -hmm. if we constantly sit there and say, man, I'm doing something, I'm not necessarily getting compensated for financially or I'm sacrificing time with my family. It's, it's worth it. And it's not only that, it's, it's so necessary in the next 10 years, you're going to, I feel like this is going to be the new pelvic floor of physical therapy, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great. People get the care that they, what they need, but that also means there's a lot of opportunity to help people. Absolutely. And thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your expertise. It was an awesome, awesome episode. I'm super excited to get this out to the public. So thank you again for coming on and we'll have to have you back on again sometime. Sounds good. Maybe next time we talk about 
headaches or concussions or something like that. Some something more PT related. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, then we know okay. what we're doing for round two. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Uh, and I look forward to doing this again. Thank you for listening to today's episode of I Spy with My My OI. If you want to hear more about these episodes, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to contact me at hello at myctom.com. Don't forget to subscribe as well and let us know of any subject or guest speaker you'd like to hear from. Help spread the word by sharing today's episode on your social media page. You can find me on Facebook at CT Oral Facial Myology or Instagram handle CT underscore Oral Facial underscore Myology. Everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.